It's time for the Smart Money Questions Podcast with Matt Hausman. This is the show that provides you with a sound financial education and helps you avoid financial pitfalls. Make sure you are asking the right questions by listening to the Smart Money Questions Podcast. It's that time again for another Smart Money Questions podcast. Walter Storholt here with Matt Hausman, founder of Old Security Group in Westchester, PA, another office in Newark, Delaware, but serving clients all across the country. And uh, Matt, I know you're excited because it's the mailbag edition of Smart Money Questions, where we take, wouldn't you know it, Smart Money Questions. <laughs> Isn't that right? I wonder when that joke will get old. Probably is already stale for anyone that's listened to the podcast for a couple of uh, weeks or months at this point. But it's just too easy not to make that make that comment. Um, well, and, and think about it. I don't think we're going to say anything else. Right, right. <laughs> Maybe we should every once in a while sprinkle in like a dumb money question segment <laughs> just to... I don't know what it would be a good example of that. Should I invest well, we, we, we in this? We could sneak one in. I just thought about this. I hate to interrupt you. I, no, you're good. I, I, did a, uh, I did a lunch and learn the other day for some clients, and invariably, in dealing with people from all different walks of life that, that come into the office, what my normal phrase is, and, and my son was here, and he told me later, he goes, you should probably think of something different to say, and that was, like, I can't make this up. <laughs> like you're not going to believe I can't make this stuff up, you know? Yeah. And so may, maybe that's how we, okay, this is going to be the show on, we can't make this up. Maybe we do it like that. There you go. Yeah. We'll fi- we'll figure something out there. We can be creative in lots of different ways. I guess a dumb money question would be, uh, I'm thinking of investing in this pyramid scheme. Should I do it? <laughs> that's that, right. That'd be a dumb money question, but no, we have four good smart money questions on the show for today. So we'll get right to it. If you want to submit a question to be featured on a future show, you can do that by going to smartmoneyquestions.com. Again, that's smartmoneyquestions.com. Lots of great resources there on the website for you and places to ask questions. Saul in Florida is going to kick us off. Saul says, hope you're enjoying the weather down there, by the way, Saul. I own my office building, but have considered selling it when I retire. Would I be better off to keep it and collect rent from a new tenant or sell it and invest the assets instead? That's a great question. But I'm going to ask a couple other questions from Saul to see, you know, what's the best way that he could be looking at that. First of all, is he the only tenant in his office building? Because if he's the only tenant, then he's going to have to now go find a renter and become a landlord. So, Saul, the question would be, okay, how much would you like being a landlord in a commercial building? Because then you've been the, the owner slash occupant, but now that's going to change. You're going to be the owner landlord, and then you're going to have to deal with finding a tenant. You're probably going to have to pay a realtor to get them in. Are you going to bring in a property management firm to take care of all the issues that go on there? And then what's that rental income going to look like on the back end? Is it really going to be worth all of that. Plus, are you looking to stay where the office is located? Or are you looking to move? Probably not if you're in Florida. But I, you know, I had a buddy of mine tell me the other day is his parents retired from Florida and they moved up to North Georgia. Because now if you've moved away, even if it's just a couple towns, you're going to have to deal with being a landlord in a building that you're going to have to potentially drive to. So that would be the first thing I would tell you to look at. The second thing is let's talk about selling the asset itself. I had a client, interestingly enough, that moved to Florida about six months after and had multiple commercial buildings and sold them. And unfortunately, we tried to schedule the closings to happen in different tax years 
So because of the capital gain issue, there was a massive tax bill that ended up happening in selling it, kind of decreased, quote, how much he could invest in for walking away from those. So if you do decide to sell it, you realize that, you know, being a landlord doesn't really make a lot of sense for me. It's not going to, I'm not going to be able to recognize the income I really would. It's, it probably could be a, a headache. Then you, and you're going to sell it, then you want to be aware of, okay, what is the tax liability going to be when I sell it? What am I really going to be putting in my pocket? So there's kind of two ways to go. There's a couple different questions, Saul, I would probably ask you to to answer before kind of guiding in either direction. But either one of those, you really want to think about what it is you're wanting that asset to perform for you. Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, Saul, I think a lot of people kind of get into that situation where they're wondering, what do I do with this you know, piece of property? Yours is a little bit more unique in that you own the office building. But for a lot of people, it's rental properties and other things like that. So it's a really good question, though. I've got another one here, uh, another smart money question from Marie in PA. Marie says, I have three whole life insurance policies that were sold to me back in the 90s. Is that too many? And should I drop one or two of them? Well, Marie, here, I'm going to ask you a couple questions as well. (laughs) (laughs) The idea, first of all, is, okay, can you remember why you got the policies? Do you still need life insurance coverage? It doesn't really matter if there's three policies or seven policies or one policy. If you have multiple like yourself, do you still need that much life insurance coverage for, say, heirs or, or anything else as to why you plan that? I will tell you what we've done for some clients recently that were in this situation and what they realized, well, in one case, they had seven policies between the husband and the wife and they were still paying premiums. Now, the other thing about understanding about whole life is there was cash value in those policies that in the event that they just wanted to get rid of them and take the cash out, there was going to be a tax liability on whatever gain those policies had accrued over that time. In their particular case, they had some dating back to the late 80s, and it was going to be pretty much a tax set. They didn't necessarily need a lot of life insurance coverage, but they did need long-term care coverage. So what we were able to do, there's certain programs out there now where we converted all seven. If I remember right, it was four for the husband, three for the wife, And we converted those into new type of permanent policies that still had life insurance, kind of like a life insurance wrapper. So there was still coverage there. But now it covered long-term care expenses. In some cases, the multiplier is like uh, a two to four times. So that means if if I'm moving $100,000 in cash, depending on the age, I might get $250,000 of long-term care coverage and still get about $125,000 of life insurance coverage. And in this particular case for them, we were able to do that. There was no tax hit. Now they've still got life insurance coverage. They've got long-term care coverage, and they have no more premiums to pay. And here's the best thing. If they decide in 10 years they want to cancel or get that money back out, actually, I believe it was after 10 years, they had full return of premium, meaning whatever we rolled over, they could now cash out. Now, there'd still be a tax liability you know, on whatever the tax rates are at that particular time, but they could still get access to that money. But we were able to convert those, remove premium payments, still have life insurance, and you know, take care 
of something that could really be devastating, meaning long-term care costs later on. Yeah, it's nice. It's it's nice to be able to strategically position your assets to work for you best as you approach retirement and, you know, get later on in life. And so when you have a lot of these maybe old things, that, it doesn't have to be life insurance, right, Matt? I mean, it could just be old products that were salty in the past that could be working more efficiently now. Maybe they even made sense back in the past. Not saying everybody was, you know, a shyster Correct. just selling you products, but it now just might not make sense for your situation. That's exactly right. And that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, which is, is that too many policies? It really isn't the too many policies. Is what was the original purpose? If it was life insurance or if it was cash value accumulation, then you want to make sure, that, let's say it was cash accumulation, because a lot of people would use those whole life policies for that, is how are you now going to turn around and start accessing that cash in an efficient way? Or maybe you could do the same thing. You could roll that money over to a different type of policy that is more attractive in today's environment. You always want to be looking at those, especially with what they've done in this particular case, talking about life insurance over the course of the last 10 years. There's been enormous strides to make the life insurance piece in a financial plan much more efficient and user-friendly for taking those old policies and actually converting them. Another great question. Thank you so much for that one, Marie. Again, if you want to submit a question to be featured on Smart Money Questions here on the podcast, just go to the website, smartmoneyquestions.com, and submit a question there. Let's hop to one from Hank here. We'll hop out to the middle part of the country and go to Texas. Hank says, if my primary retirement concern is taxes down the road, does that mean all of my retirement savings should be going into Roth? Boy, I like the way Hank's thinking. <laughs> good, good mindset, right? <laughs> Exactly, because taxes are definitely a concern that should be on 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 everyone's mind. But here's going to be my answer, and that is yes, no, and maybe. And it really has to do with what the situation is. It's not that putting money in IRAs is bad, and even if you have a concern for taxes later on, especially with where you know the tax rates are currently, is you want to be looking at when you're going to start using that money that you're saving is what are you anticipating your income needs to be and what and what's going to be the potential tax cost based on today's environment. So, you know, Hank to answer you, if you have a lot of money sitting in your 401k and now you're recognizing that maybe that or could have been the right place, maybe it's not, maybe it's time to start looking at a Roth. What I usually tell all of uh, the kids of our clients is we only want to put money in to a 401k or an IRA up to a match. Well, not an IRA, but a 401k. And outside of that, if you qualify, yeah, you want to be looking at that Roth opportunity long-term. But I think your initial thought of the concern is taxes down the road is why is that your concern? Are you recognizing there's too much in IRAs or retirement accounts? And so now I need to start shifting. There's a couple strategies you could put in place for that which is why you might be considering a Roth. Or, you know, I've got other clients because of the income need, the fact they're not going to have a pension, we're just going to do some Social Security maximization, that we actually want to have a decent amount in their IRAs because they actually will be in a lower countable tax bracket. And that's really the key based on the new uh, standard deductions that we can pull money out of that IRA and it's going to be at a much reduced tax cost. And then we can pull the other income need from, say, after tax or Roth investments 
to really minimize their taxable obligation on all of their money. But I think your initial thought is correct. Concern with taxes down the road, you know, is uh, this is kind of an experiment right now, by the way, for those of you that don't know that we just had these new tax laws put in place is many would tell you that it is a it's a Hail Mary hmm. based on getting the the economy back up and running, putting more money in people's pocket. But if the economy or the GDP doesn't grow, even with the lower tax rates, that we should see an increase in tax revenue to offset the budget deficit. And if it doesn't work, they're going to have to make changes. Who knows what the taxes are going to look like post-2025. Yeah, that's a bit of a scary thought at the moment, considering uh, where where we'll all be in 2025. But there's still a lot that will happen between now and then. But like you said, it's the it's one of those kinds of things, Matt, where the thought is what counts, like getting a presence. The thought that counts. And Hank has the right mentality here, at least being thinking about, okay, what are taxes really going to do to my financial situation going forward? Too many people don't pay attention to that. So good job there. Props to you, Hank. All right, one last question on Smart Money Questions this week, our uh, mailbag edition of the show, if you will. Samantha in Maryland has a good question for you. This is an interesting one. My mother has accumulated about $4 million in savings. She's lived frugally her whole life and saved a lot of her own money, but also got a nice bump in savings after the passing of two different husbands. She's still spry enough to get out and enjoy some of that money, but she's so nervous about losing it or wasting it. Would meeting with a financial advisor help her feel a little better about enjoying herself? Can we do something to empower her? Well, first of all, that's awesome that she's got the $4 million, but I'm not sure that anyone's going to want to be her third husband. (laughs) That was a low blow. Oh, man. Apologies, Samantha, on Matt's behalf. (laughs) I mean, but let's say she's spry enough. So should she get out there and enjoy some of the money and meeting with an advisor. I you're actually sa- you're saying podcast. to just keep it casual. That's that's what you're getting at. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did a podcast, I think, I don't know, about a month ago talking about spending it or saving it. We all, and as your mom probably does, she has a fear, which is why she's been saving, and she still lives frugally on not running out of money. But at the same time, we don't want to let life pass us by just because of that fear. So I think where an advisor could really help her is helping her see that it's okay to spend and enjoy the money as long as she's got a plan that can help ease her mind in doing that. I remember I sat, the the podcast we did a little while ago is I had sat with about three or four clients over the course of like three weeks and they all were talking about the same thing. Like they've been clients for three years, seven years, what have you. And okay, we want to start spending it. And I'm like, go spend it. Like we've already planned for this and that kind of gives them a peace of mind that it's okay to do that because I think we all run into that that fear of running out of money. And it sounds like your mom is in that same position, but I would encourage her to meet with an advisor that's going to develop her a realistic income plan so she can go out and enjoy it and not worry about living so frugally. So that that's where I would say that would be the empowerment for her is to see what that is going to look like, that it's okay to go spend some of that money. That's, I think, just really valuable to ask that kind of question, Samantha. And 
it's a good example, Matt, of sometimes it's not about, you know, the dollars. It's about these emotions. It's about how the money is affecting us in our lives. And Samantha's mom is in that situation of not feeling empowered. And if you can grant somebody that power, that comfort, you know, peace of mind is a buzzword that gets thrown around certainly a lot, I think, in this industry. But this is a good example of that. It's just so much more about picking the right mutual fund. This just shows the layers of what true financial planning is all about. Absolutely. And the empowerment is her knowledge, is the mother's knowledge to recognize, okay, I've got this amount of money here. And you know the other thing, This I just thought about this. Many times when we sit down with clients, I will show them where like all their money is, and I show them kind of at a macro level or a 30,000-foot view on where it is from a tax perspective. But I list all the different accounts. And invariably, there's never just two or three accounts. You know, there's six, there's eight. And I remember sitting and doing this with someone about two months ago. And the comment I got back from the couple was so interesting. They both looked at each other and they said, wow, we didn't know we had that much. And that in and of itself was empowering to them. So all of a sudden the knowledge, because they just get these statements from all over the place and they're not really adding them all together. They're not aggregating everything. But in this particular case, when they saw that, they're like, oh, this looks a lot better than what we thought. Well, I think this would go that it would go that far for her as well to see, okay, this is how much we have. So you've already identified the amount, four million. But now how can that go work for me to quote, as you said, have that peace of mind that it's okay to it's okay to spend some money because that's what it's there for. You know, a buddy of mine always comments to me, you know, Matt, you can't take it with you. And it's so true, Yeah. you know, but we also don't want to be running out of money before we get to the point of, of saying hello to the maker. And I think that knowledge is, would be the empowerment for her and finding an advisor. And here's the key. The advisor should show you a realistic income distribution plan and a spending plan. And what do I mean by realistic is you want to understand the assumptions that they are making. So Walter, you mentioned, okay, quote the right mutual fund, but really when you're coming up with the distribution plan, the assumptions would be what kind of rate of return, what's going to be our spending and what are the income sources outside of the investment itself? Is there a pension also? Is there social security? And really understand what those are. I was meeting with someone just about three weeks ago, and the assumptions that they were making, quite frankly, were pretty unrealistic. One of them is the rate of return that they were assuming was going to happen year over year over year, which we all know investments don't do that. And the second was they hadn't planned for inflation. And the comment back was, well, we know we're going to be spending less in about eight to 10 years. Yeah, but you know, inflation still happens. And so understanding those assumptions to come up with that realistic plan of income and spending plan, I think would just do an enormous amount of, of good for her, her peace of mind and her willingness to go ahead and say, yeah, it's okay to spend some money. Great questions on the podcast today. Samantha, Hank, Marie, and Saul, thank you for writing those in from all across the country. If you are a regular listener to the podcast or a current client of Matt's, thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, you know the drill of where to go for more information or what it's like to work with Matt. But Matt, for those who may have just recently discovered you, uh, tell us a little bit about your planning process, whether it be somebody who's local in the you know, PA, Delaware area, or if I'm somewhere else in the country, but interested in learning a little bit more about your services and how you operate. Tell us a little bit about what that's like. 
Yeah. So one of the things that we do when we're first working with someone is we're really going to look at things in a holistic view and educate them on the type of money they had, the income that they're going to need, and that what's the probability of success that they're not going to run out of money. And just like what we were just talking about is one of the things that we have experienced and we put into all of our planning is people will usually, and it doesn't really matter what age they retire, earlier or later, is the first five to nine years of retirement, we already know that they're going to be spending more money than later. So we're going to build that into the plan. And also being holistic in nature, we're going to have a tax overlay on everything that we're doing because no different than what Hank was talking about earlier is taxes can be a big expense in retirement that we want to be aware of as we're going through that plan process. But really have an educational format as to how we do it. And we kind of walk people through what that looks like and and help them understand. We always go through what I call a discovery meeting. And that is where really I'm going to have more questions of them than they are of me because we're going to look at literally everything that they have. Life insurance, property and casualty insurance, investments, potential real estate, other investments, wh- whatever they might be. And kind of go, where do you think that is fitting into your current plan? And where do you see it moving forward? And and why is this here? Because one of the things I always talk about is all of your money doesn't have the same purpose, so it shouldn't be positioned all the same way. And then from there, we go into designing a plan in conjunction with the client. So after we've educated them on maybe the tax characterization, the different investments we have, and we talked earlier about there's possibly better, more efficient ways to do things based on what's on the market now and kind of educate them and design a plan or design their income distribution plan. And then basically after that, it's it's implementing and then ongoing administration on our end. So that's kind of the idea. We can do it either in the office or we have the ability now through screen sharing and a service we use where we can be uh, doing a webcam at the same time we're doing screen sharing and kind of go through that process, which is what we do with our clients that aren't local. So hopefully that is a, a, a small story to how we do it. The nuts and bolts. Yeah. The, right. uh, the, the 30,000 foot view. I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, if you'd like to set up a time to meet with Matt Hausman or just ask some smart money questions to him, and it doesn't always have to be featured here on the show. So that that's optional. You do not have to, uh, you know, air every piece of your financial life here on the program to get help. You can just talk to Matt and the team one-on-one at old security group. 610-719-3003 is the old fashioned telephone way to get in touch 610-719-3003 and as always on smartmoneyquestions.com plenty of opportunities there on the website to click around ask a question reach out to matt that way if you want to send the direct email route you can do that info at smartmoneyquestions.com as well that's info at smartmoneyquestions.com matt thanks for the guidance and for answering our smart money questions today and uh, we'll talk to you again soon on the podcast look forward to it we'll talk to you for matt i'm walter thanks for tuning in talk to you soon on smart money questions